0: We are continuing our study this evening in First Peter, so if you have your Bibles, I invite you to join with me in First Peter chapter 2. Of course, uh, this is probably the fourth or fifth lesson uh, that we've gone to uh, in this series of lessons, and we began by talking really about the, uh, this aspect of hope. Uh, we, we, we talked about the joy of hope, how, uh, how we are chosen, how we are born again to this uh, great salvation, and because of that... Uh, The second night, we looked at the the conduct of hope. Uh, Because of this great salvation, we should conduct ourselves in such a way in holiness and fear, Peter says, and even in love. And then last week we talked about the uniqueness of hope, how it has a unique diet, a unique intake, which is the word of God, the pure word of God, Peter says. And it also has an identity for us. It's unique in its identity. We're living stones. We build up, each one of us builds up a portion of the church and also the impression as well in the uniqueness that Peter refers to as being a chosen race and a royal priesthood and a holy nation and a people for God's own possession. And so uh, as we continue on in our thoughts here this evening, we're going to look at chapters 2, uh, verses 11 through uh, chapter 3, uh, verse 7. And again, um, now we're going to focus on the behavior of hope, the behavior of hope. You know, there's been a lot of uh, interesting uh, developments sort of post-pandemic, you know, that we've gone through the, the COVID Uh, pandemic for the past couple of years, uh, you know, a lot more people are now working remotely. You know, they're working from home. You know, I had this opportunity to do that as well when we were in Cookville. I I was working in our apartment while uh, for my uh, former employer all the way back in Michigan, I was working remotely from there. Uh, But I guess people liked it so much uh, that it's become even more popular. And because of that, uh, you know, people aren't necessarily, um, you know, they feel the more, a little bit more freedom, maybe not being necessarily chained uh, to a desk, uh, if you will. But out of that, uh, out of you know, this uh, desire to work remotely, out of that, and maybe you've seen this in the news here recently, the past couple of months, uh, that people are desiring to move to a four-day work week. You know, and this, this idea, and follow along as I sort of explain this idea, because I don't quite understand it. Maybe you do, uh, but the, the idea is that a worker is going to receive 100% of the pay that they normally would receive, but putting in only 80% of the time, but their, predict, their productivity is not going to go down. They're still required to put in 100% productivity, And they're actually testing this right now over in the UK. There's some 70 companies, uh, uh, 3,300 workers. Uh, This started June 6th, and it's going to go on for six months, and they're going to measure some things. They're going to measure people's health and uh, their stress, their burnout, their sleep, their energy use. uh, To see, you know, if maybe falling to a four day work week would uh, be a little bit easier on these individuals. But if you remember when this was really hit the news here in America, it was because there were certain uh, individuals within certain companies who they were demanding their employers to go to a four day work week. You know, it wasn't that they were just asking but they were demanding this. And again, those two things that that didn't make sense to me when I was hearing these, uh, these series of news articles Number one, again, how can you put in 100% capacity with 80% of the time? But number two, when did we come so emboldened to go to our supervisors, to those above us, our employers, and tell them, you know, basically how to run their company? You know, that, that we want to move to this uh, sort of uh, this, uh, this program, this way of working. And how did we get there? You know, uh, is is it a lack of respect? Is it a cultural change? Is, is it burnout? Uh, Maybe a mix between all of those things. Well, you remember what Paul said in First Corinthians chapter eleven, verse three. Uh, here he was talking about sort of the, this basic chain of authority, where he said that you know Christ is the head of man, man is the head of woman, and God is the head of Christ. And really, what Paul is emphasizing in that passage is that no matter who you are. You know, there, there's someone over, uh, overhead of you, overhead of you. Well, in this section that we're going to read about in First Peter chapter uh, 2 and 3, Peter's reminding, again, these Christians who are endearing suffering uh, of how to behave. He's going to use the word submission or submit three different times. And to these various different institutions or individuals at first, he's going to tell us that we are obligated to behave properly towards man and government. He's going to tell us that we have an obligation to behave properly, pop, properly towards our earthly masters. And he's also going to tell us we have an obligation to behave properly towards our spouses. Well, why? Why is Peter writing this is because he's going to tell us in these verses, it's because those individuals, they may not be Christians. They, not, they, they may not believe in Jesus. So if we're ever going to win someone over to the gospel, it probably be, is going to be due to our Christ-like behavior towards them. Uh, uh, when we're out in the community uh, paying our taxes or, or following laws... Uh, when we're in the workplace, or when we're in the home. You know, these are the opportunities that we have as Christians to win them over to Christ. And so Peter is going to say we need to behave in a certain way when we're around them. So we want to notice, again, what he talks about here as far as our behavior as Christians, the honor and submission that we give to others. So let's go ahead and begin and Uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, and let's look at the first couple of verses. Peter writes, starting in verse 11, Beloved, I urge you as aliens and strangers to abstain from fleshly lusts which wage war against the soul. Keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles, so that in the thing in which they slander you as evildoers, they may, because of your good deeds, as they observe them glorifying God in the day of visitation. Again, he, he brings up this aspect of being aliens and strangers in this world. This isn't the first time he has done this. Again, our citizenship is not in this world. And he says, while you're here on earth, while you're sojourning, while you're influencing others, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. You know, that word Gentile is in reference to someone who's a non-Christian or, or a, a pagan. Uh, keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And there's a hint there in that verse 12 of the suffering that they're going through. It says, in the things in which they slander you as evildoers, these Christians that Peter is writing to apparently have been slandered uh, as evildoers. And Peter says, don't respond to that. He expected them to be slandered. Uh, We, as Christians today, expect to be slandered. But what Peter's concern was, is that there is no truth To those claims, and so keep your keep your behavior excellent among the Gentiles. And if anyone makes a slanderous mark about you or about the church, we need to live our lives in such a way that if someone hears that, who's maybe not a member of this congregation, uh, and they hear someone slander uh, the Church of Christ, or, or maybe you, and know you go to the Church of Christ, we ought to live in such a way that the first thing that comes to their minds is that can't be true. That must be slander. That must be deceitful slander, right? Because they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't do that. Well, look at verses 13 through 17. Peter continues and says, Submit yourselves for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether to a king as the one in authority or to governors as sent by him for the punishment of evildoers and the praise of those who do right. For such is the will of God that by doing right, you may silence the ignorance of foolish men. Act as free men and do not use your freedom as a covering for evil, but use it as bond slaves of God. Honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. See, now he's pointing us to our behavior towards, uh, towards the government, towards those in power, the, these institutions. Uh, the Christian's relationship to government, you know, it, it can get difficult. You know, of course, governments assert uh, sovereignty, but it's always the possibility that maybe they'll require uh, Christians to believe or, or to do things that are ungodly. And of course, uh, we have scripture that, that tells us in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, uh, that we must obey God rather than men. We can think of passages in scripture back in Exodus chapter 1 where Uh, Remember the pharaohs told all the Hebrew midwives that if a boy was born to any of the Hebrew women that they were to put the child to death. And of course they didn't do that. And God was pleased that they uh, did not do that. We remember in Daniel chapters 3 and with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego uh, who did not bow down to the golden image. Or even Daniel in chapter 6 who was thrown in the lion's den uh, because of these instances where uh, they were being forced by that government of that time to do things that were ungodly. You know, even today, uh, there have been attempts to do this. Uh, you know that, that, that as a church, uh, uh, we enjoy, as a religious institution, enjoy tax-exempt status. You know, we don't have to pay tax, sales taxes on a certain things. And there have been times, uh, maybe there's still legis- legislation out there that you know, if the churches uh, don't participate in uh, what the, the government at that time wants them to do, they threatened to take that away from us. And so we even see this today. But in the day-to-day pursuit of life, structure and authority are necessary for accomplishing worthwhile things, right? You and I enjoy stop signs, right? We enjoy uh, that those stop signs are there and that, uh, you know, if you were to not stop and to blow past it, you know, you might get a ticket. You might Uh, receive something from the civil authority or breaking and entering you know against the law again murder you know these things are uh punishable uh and so uh the government is as romans chapter 13 paul says and if you want to read more about uh, what the bible has to say about the civil government and our role in it read romans chapter 13 because paul has a lot to say there as well but he tells us there that rulers are not a cause of fear for good behavior but it's for evil he says, you want no fear, then do good, right? And again, Peter is addressing that. Submit to your local civil authorities. Submit to kings and rulers. Uh, his readers are probably likely getting the attention of civil leaders at this time. You know, that's why Peter's writing to them, to, to tell them how they must act in front of maybe the Roman Empire or uh, Roman emperors. Submit and respect them for the Lord's sake, Again, Paul says in Romans 13, verse 4, that the ruler is a minister of God to you for good. So if you're doing right, he says, then that's praise for you. Uh, and that's what a Christian should be doing, doing good, doing right. And so it's a good thing. And so P- Peter uh, responds here in verse 15. He says when Christians are respectfully obedient to civil authority, that that's the will of God. And not only that's the will of God, but it silences the ignorance of foolish men. So, submission as Christians, uh, you know, that doesn't mean that we've lost our freedom. He says there, right there in that same verse, uh, that we, are, we, we have, you know, an obedient type of freedom, that we're free from sin, but we still have to obey God in this life. So, don't abuse it, Peter says. Don't abuse that. Don't use that as a, that as a covering for evil. You know, you still follow laws because God gave them that authority. You know, I, I read the, the other day that, and I don't know if it's, still, if it's still a law in place today, but it said that in Kentucky that it was illegal at one time to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. You ever heard of that? Uh, it was illegal at one time to carry an ice cream cone in your pocket. Because, you know what, the horse thieves back then would put an ice cream cone in their pocket and sort of lure away horses. Right? And so at one time, it was illegal to do that. And so if the civil government says that it's illegal to do that, then as Christians, we don't put ice cream cones in our pockets. Now, again, if that's still on the books, I'm not sure. Uh, but like a good teacher, Peter then summarizes in verse 17, again, our... Our, our, our attitude towards those in power. Again, he says, honor all people, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the king. Notice he says, fear God and honor the king. He doesn't say fear the king, but fear God and honor the king. Show him the respect, but it's God who we fear. Well, let's move on in verses 18 through 25 and notice what he says our behavior is towards earthly masters. Peter continues, servants, be submissive to your masters with all respect, not only to those who are good and gentle, but also to those who are unreasonable. For this finds favor. If for the sake of conscience towards God, a person bears up under sorrows when suffering unjustly. For what credit is there if when you sin, you are harshly treated, you endure it with patience. But if when you do what is right and suffer for it, you patiently endure it. This finds favor with God. See, God gives every person, every person, dignity and worth. You know, in this context, again, Peter is writing to servants and their relationship with their masters. But we can also apply that today with, you know, employees and employers. And Christ's death was as much for the slave as it was for the master. And so, again, here's that word submit. We see this word submit again within this text, not only submit to those who are good and gentle, you know, those masters who treat us well, but Peter also says, submit to those who are unreasonable, to those who are harsh, to those who are unjust, because he says, because you are conscious of God, because you understand that God exists. He wants you to endure the grief, the sorrow while suffering unjustly. And he's going to tell us why in the next section of why we need to do that, why we should. Because if you're harshly treated, he says, and if you're harshly treated because you deserve it, he says, even if you bear it patiently, you know, what good is that? He says, you know, God's not honored by us committing sin, but he says, if we are harshly treated for doing good and we patiently endure it, that's what is commendable. That finds favor and grace before God. But let's notice in this next section in verses 21 through 25, why, why we submit to earthly masters, why we submit to civil authorities. Verses 21 through 25, Peter writes, for you have been called for this purpose since Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps who committed no sin, nor was any deceit found in his mouth. And while being reviled, he did not revile in return while suffering. He uttered no threats but kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross so that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. For by his wounds, you were healed. For you were continually straying like sheep, but now you have returned to the shepherd and guardian of your soul. See again, in this context, we understand you know, that slavery was... You know, it was a major part of the Greco-Roman world, the, the, the time when Jesus was on earth and when the apostles, the first century, it was a major thing. And as, as more people were converted to Christianity in the first century, you know, Christians were sort of exposed to both ends of this. You know, there, there are some Christian uh, masters that we read about in, in scripture, and there were also some Christian slaves, right? But while Christianity is spreading throughout the known world uh, and changing the minds of, of Christian slave owners, or uh, influencing even the non-Christian slave owners, Peter reminds them why they should submit, why they should suffer unjustly in their position. But again, he's not just writing to them, but he's writing to all Christians that, he, that, that are suffering at that time. And it's a reminder because Jesus suffered on the cross. For you have all been called for this purpose, he said. Well, what purpose? Doing what is right suffering with patience and endurance, just like Christ did. He did that for you. He left us an example of his life. Again, Peter goes on to tell us he committed no sin. No deceit was found in his mouth. He didn't revile in return. He didn't hurl verbal abuse to people while they were doing that to him. He uttered no threats. I love that verse 21 that that talks about him as an example this is the Greek word hupogramos, and what it, the idea of it is it's tracing letters, right? You give a child who's learning how to write some letters to trace, and maybe it starts off with an A, and over time, you know, that, that letter that they're tracing, it gets better and better and better with the more time they practice it, right? and that's the same thing for us as well. You know, Jesus is our hupogramos. He is our example. As we... Um, attempt to live our lives in according to his word and by his example we should get more and more like him each and every day as we continue to practice his his christ likeness and uh, the things that he has left us for in the scripture Uh, each and every day we should look more and more like him we should get uh, that a should look even better right as a child is learning how to trace it And this is why we behave the way that we do towards towards man, towards the government, towards masters, because the suffering that Jesus went to, although unbearable at times, or the suffering that we go through, although maybe unbearable at times, how does it compare that the sufferings that Christ went through on the cross? Again, Peter says, by his wounds, you were healed. Let's look at this next section, this last section tonight in verses one through seven, the behavior of hope towards spouses. First Peter chapter three, starting in verse one, Peter writes, in the same way you wives be submissive to your own husbands so that even if any of them are disobedient to the word, they may be won without a word by the behavior of their wives. As they observe your chase and respectful behavior, your adornment must not be merely external Braiding the hair and wearing gold jewelry or putting on dresses, but let it be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. For in this way, in former times, the holy women also who hoped in God used to adorn themselves, being submissive to their own husbands, just as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord, and you have become her children if you do what is right without being frightened. By any fear. do you notice uh, as he begins this section that, that Peter says in the same way? In the same way, as all Christians were to submit again to authorities and to and the slaves to their masters, Peter urges the wives to be submissive to their own husbands. This, of course, is, is the reason why is because uh, it's for order and peace in the home. Again, someone has to lead. Uh, in any situation, in any social arrangement, have you ever been into a classroom without a teacher? Right, it's chaos. Have you ever been in, in a, uh, an employee meeting without the boss there? You know, again, sometimes it's chaos because there's the, that authority role is not there. No one knows who's supposed to be leading them. But God, of course, gave the role of leadership to Adam, and through Adam, a man. Uh, And so uh, we notice that as Peter's writing this, you know, this is not uh, a controlling dictatorship, but this is, and how do I know that? Because he's, he's writing to the wives. He says there, in the same way, you wives, be submissive to your own husbands. He's not writing to the men saying, you know, control your wives, but he's talking to the women. Be submissive to your husbands, he says. Again, we understand that that word submission is sort of a, a dirty word in, in the world today. You know, people, when they hear that, I'm not going to submit, uh, you know. That, but again, Peter is using this word over and over again in this section. Submit to the, to the government. Submit to your masters. Submit to your husbands. Again, biblical submission is not a bad thing when... It's willingly given. And that all being said, Peter's main point, uh, but Peter's main point in writing this section about wives submitting to their husbands is because of the behavior of their influence. Again, even if any of them are disobedient to the word, he says, that they may be one without a word. You know, in some cases, nothing spoken, Peter says, will win over your spouse to Christ. Uh, rather than the words supported by her godly behavior? Well, how? Peter tells us, as they observe your chase and respectful behavior. You know, observe, as they observe. It means to get his attention and to ponder on it. Well, why is she acting that way? You know, why is she doing all these good deeds? I mean, what's in it for her? Uh, and her chase, her innocence, her disposition toward, towards goodness, and Peter says, "Don't be concerned." And as he's talking to the wife, don't be concerned to how you look on the outside. And not, he's not saying that you know you can't wear nice things, but he's saying don't be excessively concerned with those matters because you are compromising your ability to appeal to your husband. But rather focus on those internal things. He says, "Your your gentle and quiet spirit, right? Being humble, not being defiant." And why are these qualities precious in the sight of God, as he mentions? Because these are the same dispositions that he calls you and I to be when it comes to the civil government, when it comes to earthly masters, when it comes to our spouses, when it comes to submitting to God. And Peter brings up finally in verses five through six, the example of Abraham and Sarah. Right? He says uh, the women of old, uh, including Sarah, they adorned themselves with a gentle and quiet spirit. They were submissive to their own husbands. They, uh, he even gives an example of when Sarah called Abraham Lord, uh, not capital L O R D, but you know a lowercase L O R D, a title of respect uh, as she referred to her husband. Well, Peter gives six verses there towards the wives, and he finishes here in verse seven, and gives the husband some direction as well. He says, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. You know, there's a lot to uh, unpack in that verse, but we'll keep it short. He, he says, live with them in an understanding way, right? Know, uh, know them, right? Know their likes, know their dislikes. Um, know each other, and then he says, "As with someone weaker." Uh, literally translated, a weaker vessel. This isn't talking about her spirituality. This isn't talking about her intellect, but it's you know, it's talking about her, her physical capacity. You know, that a woman is normally you know weaker, uh, smaller than a male, a man. He says uh, again. Um, dwell with your wives in an understanding way as with someone weaker as a weaker vessel since she is a woman and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Help each other get to heaven, Peter says. Yes, the man uh, is head of the woman, but you're all going, you're all attempting to go to the same place. And so you need to work together. You need to honor her as a fellow heir of the grace of life. She's getting the same reward that you are. So honor her. Treat her as an equal. And then finally, he says, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Have we ever thought about that, husbands? That, that our prayers can be hindered uh, if we're not treating our wives respectfully uh, as fellow heirs of this grace in an understanding way. Peter addresses these three different issues of submission uh, that, that we must do as Christians. Again, the behavior of hope towards man and government, towards our earthly masters, and also towards our spouses. In a week from tonight, uh, Christian will be bringing our message uh, for the Churchy Church evening service, and so we'll take a, uh, a brief uh, vacate on uh, the First Peter study. But two weeks from tonight, we'll jump back in and finish Chapter Three, uh, Part Two uh, of of uh, the Behavior of Hope, and we're going to look at uh, what Peter has to say about those uh, who are persecuting them. But again, as we conclude our thoughts here this evening, again, we have someone who is head over us. Again, whether it's human institutions or government or a boss or, a, or even a husband, a spouse. But over all of them, remember, over all of them is God. Everyone is going to answer to God. And we need to keep that in mind when we're suffering, when we're feeling mistreated. You know, our hope in Christ is reflected in our behavior. Well, why? Because we want to win others over to Christ. If people see us as pessimistic and hopeless and angry, uh, that, you know, the world's out to get us sort of people, who's going to want to become a Christian? But when they see us as people who are, again, you know, we're paying our taxes, we're, we're stopping at those stop signs, we're following directions. Uh, We're we're going through the the daily struggles in the workplace, even though our our boss might be a fun loving individual or maybe he's a harsh individual. But we're still we're putting in the work because we know we have a master in heaven and we're treating our spouses with dignity. Maybe they're not a Christian, but yet Peter says, uh, show them that example, win them over by your example. And again, our behavior matters. And so uh, we'll pick up this study in a couple of weeks. But this evening, as we offer the invitation, if there's anyone here this, this evening who's uh, ready to become a Christian, who's ready to put Christ on in baptism, again, the waters are prepared for us uh, behind us. And we would love to assist you in that. Or if you need the prayers of the congregation, if you need the strength from the brethren here, uh, please let us know as together we stand and sing.